Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about plant health. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's happening in your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show. Again, that number is 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. To open the show, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do that, I just wanted to let you know we do have a couple of free Ag PhD workshops coming up next week. On Monday, we've got our tiling clinic, and on Tuesday, we've got a corn agronomy workshop. We'd love to have you join us in person. It's free. The reason why we do these seminars for free, because not, not, not many people will do that. Uh, but we do because we just want to say thanks to you for watching Ag PhD TV and listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been on the air for a lot of years now, and and we just really appreciate the opportunity to to visit with you every day here on Rural Radio with our Ag PhD show. Anyway, if you would like more information about our upcoming events, just go to agphd.com. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, I got a number of mailbag questions here. Again, if you have a question for us, you can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. This one from Garrett down in northern Nebraska. He said, I have soil tests calling for iron sulfate and copper sulfate, but I can't find a supplier for them that isn't way out on one of the coasts or would require me to become a distributor. My tests are calling for hundreds of pounds of iron sulfate. My local retailers only want to send me micro blends or a liquid product, which is more expensive. Well, that isn't going to cut it when I need elemental pounds. Why doesn't anyone carry these bulk micronutrients? Well, I wouldn't say there aren't any that that don't carry them. There are some. You just have to make some more calls. And I know it's work, but you just have to make some more calls. There are people out there, are there are companies out there that have product. The other thing that I, I do want to say, though, is when you start talking about lots of pounds on things like iron, I'd encourage you do some work on a small scale first. So just as an example, on our farm, we have some stuff that's calling for a lot of pounds of iron as well. All right, let's say I got... We farm 3,400 crop acres. Let's say that I've got, and I think we probably do, have 600 to 800 acres. It's calling for a lot. And I, I run the numbers and I go, oh my goodness, I'm not going to spend that kind of money. I don't. Well, let me rephrase that. I don't want to spend that kind of money. I will if it's going to pay, but I don't know for sure that it's going to pay. Because quite frankly, how many of your neighbors have ever put on massive rates of iron and said, oh my goodness, this is the best thing ever? None. <laughs> so... What I'd say, like on our farm, okay, we got six to eight hundred acres. So what we did is, like this last fall, is we just put some iron on most of those acres, and I'm not talking much, but at least a little bit. And then we just had a few acres where we said, okay, well, let's just do the full dose and let's see if it actually pays. And if it actually pays moving forward, then I don't mind spending fifty or hundred dollars an acre. But I don't want to spend fifty or hundred dollars an acre on everything before I know for sure. So that's our advice to you. Also, number one, make lots of calls, and you will find some product around there, or around somewhere. And number two, you can do a little bit on some of these things, but do the big doses just on a tiny amount of acres and prove to yourself, hey, all this investment is actually truly worth it. 
Yep, thanks for that question. We really appreciate that. I got three of them here, kind of around no-till. Uh, M.A. says using pesticides may leave residue, and I would rather see moldboard plowing than worrying about contaminating my water table. Besides, I view plowing as a way to increase the organic content of our soil and improve water holding capacity, although it does cost more in diesel. Whoa, whoa. You got two things that are, are definitely wrong there. Plowing is not going to increase organic uh, matter content. It's going to decrease organic matter content, and it's going to decrease the water holding capacity, not increase it. And those are proven facts. So we got to make sure that we're talking about the right things here. I, I mean, if you want to say, I'll, I'll plow instead of using pesticides, that's totally your choice. It's a free country. You can do whatever you want to do. I mean, personally, I'll take my chances on the pesticides before I will the plowing, but I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with plowing because I'm an advocate for occasional plowing, just like, like I'm an advocate for occasional pesticide use. So I, we, we want to use whatever tool we can to safely produce food for our growing world. But yeah, on the plowing thing, it Sure, in the really short term, you're taking residue from above ground, throwing it below ground. But believe me, you're adding fuel to the fire. In effect, you're putting more air down in the soil. You are burning your organic matter faster. That is proven. All right, a couple other comments here come in from Chris. And he said, one thing about no-till, it does help improve microbial life and the buildup of nutrient holdings for the soil. And then he also says, when farmers do not have to do tillage-related work, they save opportunity cost on final production. And he references a couple of studies here, too. Well, you save time, sure. But is it going to be worth it in the end? I'm not saying good or bad. There, There's both. Okay, so it's very often when we talk to people where they're just dead set on, hey, it's this way and not the other way. So one of the best things in my life that ever happened is one of the things that I hated the most, like literally every day. And Darren and, and Janelle, uh, my sister Janelle is our sister Janelle is running our controls today. So both Darren and Janelle can hear this. They will remember back when we were growing up, literally dad and I would have arguments every single day, every single day. And I'd sit at one end of the table. Dad would sit at the other end. These guys were in between. And my point Which here. Which was very pleasant. Right. It, it, was, was, it was really nice just to put your but, head down and eat. But here's the point. And, and, and I don't know if this is why he did this, but I'm glad he did. Basically, anything I wanted to say, he felt the opposite was true. At least it felt that way. But the point is this. You always right, have to look at the that, other Brian. side that of unfamiliar things. To me. You have to look at the other side. If you don't take that other side into equation, then you're not going to make the best decisions for your farm. And so, I mean, literally anything, I don't care what it is. You got to look at, hey, maybe let's, let's give thorough analysis to the complete opposite point of view that I have, because maybe there's something in between that could be best. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk plant health next. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at FarmShopMFG.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today, our topic is plant health. And you can call us here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have an agronomic question or want to join in on the plant health discussion, you can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, with your questions or comments. Uh, and we certainly welcome them. Let's head to the phone lines first. We've got Jeff Spieler with us right now with DeKalb Asgro. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you guys doing? Well, pretty good, but I thought it would be interesting to have somebody from our own region talk about plant health on a year where, you know, it was pretty hot and dry for a lot of guys, and we came out of a couple of years, 2018, 2019, where it was always wet. Now we've had a couple of years where it's been hot and dry. There's been a lot of stress out there, so plant health has certainly been on a lot of guys' minds. Yeah, right. A lot of things are affecting plant health. You know, this year it was, like you said, moisture deficiency, right? I mean, that that's probably the main thing. But, you know, that played into a lot of other things. You know, anytime you add other things to disease stress or moisture stress, uh, you know, any your nutrient management always comes into play. You know, you're obviously your weaker plants, less, you know, nutrient available plants are uh, going to show the stress first. So. All right, let's start let's start at planting. And when I think about plant health, I know that conditions at planting time can make a big difference where we've got some heavier clay soils in parts of our farm. If you pack things in in the spring, that plant's struggling all year long. Did you see that last year? What kind of planting conditions did you have? And, and what's been your observation just in terms of setting that plant off to a good start? Yeah, you know, the conditions in all in all were pretty good throughout most of the spring and a lot of the area I cover, you know, the big thing I saw was a lot of the soils in some cases were, were almost too mellow, um, especially where a fair amount of tillage was done. So we had mellow soils, not a lot of good soil to root contact early on. That, that really played into some potassium deficiency that we saw more so than normal. And, you know, when, when that happens, that impacts your stock health, everything else later on. So that was probably the biggest thing I saw early on that impacted things. 
All right, early season. I know in wheat we see a lot of the guys in in South Dakota get out really early with the fungicide application. In corn, about V4, V5 timing, we'll start to see some guys doing that with herbicide application. What have you seen with those early season fungicide applications? Are you seeing those plant health claims being legit at that time, or is it something that you prefer to see wait until a little bit later? Yeah, you know, it's depending on what you're going after, right? I mean, I... From an overall, if you're after northern leaf blight, gray, you know, are common things we see here in South Dakota on a regular basis. You know, I still think that, you know, VTR1 application time frame is still the optimal. However, what we are learning is what we're picking up probably from that V5, V6 application when we're doing some post-spraying is when we get a fungicide on at that time, we're probably doing a little bit to help that fusarium crown rot piece, right? So we saw a lot of that this year. Um, protecting that plant early on when that when that gets infected um, can really help us. So I, I think that application time frame is mainly when you go after that that crown rot piece. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I don't know what have you seen. You've been doing this for quite a while, and and so have I. I don't know if I've seen a year that we've had quite as much fusarium crown rot as we did in 2021. Yeah, it was severe, right? I mean, a lot of times you, we always we always correlate disease pressure and things with wet weather and wet conditions, but I tell you, it was, yeah, it was probably the worst amount of crown rot that I saw across my whole territory and, you know, a high number of acres. So, yeah, I would say, and, and the impact of it, obviously, when the plants are cannibalizing themselves a little bit to finish in drought conditions, you throw that on top of, you know, really reducing the amount of moisture and nutrient uptake, with that crown being as bad as it was, I think that just amplified things and really added to that stock problem. So, yeah, it was severe. I had a few farmers that I've talked to that have said, you know, I cut back on my smart stacks acres. I switched over to double pro. I didn't think I was having as much trouble with rootworm anymore. And it happened to be a big rootworm year too. How much was that rootworm feeding tied into some of the disease problems we saw, whether it's crown rots or, or stock rots that showed up later? Yeah, I think that that comes into play always, right? Anytime you open that plant up, you're uh, you're opening that thing for some more disease pressure, but uh, you know, with wounds and things like that. But yeah, I, I think that had a big impact. Um, and you're right. I mean, the, the rootworm pressure is higher than we've seen, and that's you know that's cyclical, right? I mean, it comes and goes. But um, I would say we're seeing a little bit more northern pressure in those rotated acres than we typically do. And and, and granted, the the worst scenarios are the the western pressure with the long term continuous corn. That was that's probably about as I've seen it for a number of years here again. So it's uh, we're seeing guys manage manage the rootworm piece a little bit different going into 22. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. That that caught a lot of attention last year. And I know there's even some guys out beetle bombing that normally wouldn't be doing that that said there are just so many beetles out there and they were chewing off silks and, and causing problems and certainly scaring everybody that the pressure was going to be terrible this year, which, hey, you never know. You never know from one year to the next. Even if bugs were bad one year, we could have just the right conditions through the winter or the right pathogens out there to stop them. So I'm not so sure the bugs are going to be terrible, but I definitely know a lot of growers uh, – including our farm, we're going to take all the precautions so that doesn't become a problem again. Yeah. Uh, how about now when we're talking about this nutrient thing, you keep saying reduced water uptake, reduced nutrient uptake that we saw when it was dry. You know, for the grower that's a dry land farmer, how do you manage around that? How, how do you do it? Can you foliar feed at that point? Do you have to do something different just in the way you farm? What's been your experience, Jeff? Yeah, you know, it's difficult to to 
correct that in some cases, you know, especially with some of your macronutrients, you know, the potassium piece is hard to correct after that happens, right? I mean, we just had the condition. Now, obviously, some of the advantages I saw, you know, some of the more reduced tillage scenarios, the strip till, the minimum till type scenarios were a little bit better from that standpoint. You know, the soils were just a little bit more firm. Um, however, you know, in some of the no-till situations, it was probably bad there again. So, I mean, it was, it was almost the, the full tillage and the no-tills where I saw the most impact from that, you know, for, in this instance, potassium deficiency. You know, some of the more, the strip till, minimum till were some of the better ones, you know, just a little bit better rip, rip growth underneath there. So I'm not sure there is a, a silver bullet there. And it, like I said, so with some of the macros like you know, potassium, for example, it's tough to, tough to correct that. You know, you just got to make sure your, your fertility is in the best place that it can be going into it and uh, do everything you can at planting time to, to maximize that root growth. You had mentioned fungicide use around tasseling time for disease control. And if you get those late season diseases, certainly having that protection out there is important. What what have you seen over the years with that? And have you changed your recommendation now in the face of tar spot heading your direction? Right. You know, that's something we're keeping a really close eye on. You know, our counterparts to the east have started have dealt with that now for a little bit. And I don't, I don't foresee that being any different for us. I think that is going to, is going to show up more so in South Dakota than it has in the past, luckily. But, you know, we've been pretty fortunate so far. But, yeah, the, the, the recommendation is probably going to change in the sense that I still think that that R1 time frame is probably your sweet spot, VTR1. But the thing with that is, you know, a little bit different than some of the other diseases we deal with, you know, typically here. We're probably going to have to pay a little closer attention to that R3, R4 time frame than we used to um, just to possibly come back with that second app. I don't think that's going to be common, especially early on when we see this, but I do think as we go into the future and the tar spot becomes a bigger problem for us, uh, the pathogen gets more widespread, I think we are going to have to watch that, that R3 time frame a little closer. But hopefully the R1 will be, will be ideal for a while. One last thing, Jeff. You had mentioned when we were talking about the fusarium crown rot that we saw last year. And for anybody who said, I don't know what they're talking about, I haven't seen that, just get online. You'll see tons of pictures of, of what happened last year. It was it was pretty bad. You like that V4, V5 fungicide timing, or is there anything else you're doing for those guys who say, okay, I had this last year. I might go corn on corn. What can I do to protect myself? Yeah, for the crown rot specifically? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit, there's different things. I mean, we are seeing some genetic differences. That's not always 100%, but you can, we are seeing a little bit of that. Uh, the seed treatment piece is critical, right? So make sure you're, whatever you're planting, you know, you're, you've got that good, good seed treatment option. You know, there's obviously differences out there. So make sure, you know, you've got your optimum seed treatment uh, load there. And then, like I said, the, the V4, V5, we're going to continue to do more work with that, but um, that is something where we think, you know, if we improve that plant health and send off that, that disease at that time frame, we're going to be a little bit better off down the road. But it's, yeah. it's kind of a multifaceted attack. A- absolutely. You're, you're right about that. We're talking with Jeff Spieler here with the Cal Basgro. Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Really appreciate all the insight today, too. Talking plant health on our show. Stay tuned. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. 
AgroLiquid. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio here, and we're talking about plant health. Now, I find this interesting because we were just talking with Jeff Spieler, based out of South Dakota. I've got another guy based out of South Dakota coming up, Lee Lubers, who you've heard on our show before. And we talked to a bunch of the guys with Extreme Ag, and so many of them say, well, I was talking to Lee Lubers about this. Well, Lee gave me some ideas of what he and his brother Terry are doing out in South Dakota, and man, that's been working. Lee, I, I don't know, are you getting checks from these guys that it seems like you're kind of power? They're all hitting record high yields, and seems to be all back to talking to you. I'm just trying to be a good friend. <laughs> You're not going to take the bait on that. Well, Kelly Garrett, believe me, would take the credit if he could, if he was on the show right now. Yeah, that's Kelly. <laughs> well, 
we were talking with Jeff, and Jeff said, here's the challenge, Darren. He said, we've got reduced water uptake when it just decides not to rain here, and then we can't get nutrients into the plant, and it makes this plant health thing that much tougher. You know that's coming at some point during the growing season. There's hardly a year that goes by that we don't say, man, there's a time where we really could have used a rain, or maybe it was even a month or a month and a half that we really desperately needed rain and didn't get it. How do you manage around that, Lee? You know those things are going to happen. I guess the best way to put it is fertility is a beautiful thing. And more importantly, balanced fertility. Uh, we can handle drought so much better with balanced fertility. Once we learn that, and that's more applying the Neokinsey philosophy to fertility. And also even for disease prevention. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been a, a huge thing for us. You know, one of the things, too, that I, I know having visited your farm before and just chatting with you about crop rotation and some of these things, you're very intentional about how you're doing things. And I have to think when it comes to plant health, that crop rotation piece really makes a difference too. Yeah, we make winter wheat work well for us. And that's also breaking up cycles between corn and soybeans. And that's helping in plant health and disease prevention. And for, uh, water retention for the next crop because uh, we love planting into soybean stubble, but when we plant corn into wheat stubble, we are going to gain 10 to 20 bushel an acre in our environment. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge difference. And I, I know you've had other crops in the rotation too. And, and some of this has to come down to, well, which crop is the most profitable, but like you say, paying attention to which crop is, was there beforehand can make a big difference too. How do some of these other crops fit in? Like for sunflowers, for example, I know you guys used to make sunflowers really work. What's the difference there? Is it disease issues? Is it just more profitable options with, with corn or soybeans? Where, where would would you see that one fitting in and is it something you'd ever bring back uh it got to be the marketing standpoint because uh our oil content was always so high from managing our crop we didn't want to sell to the birdseed market because we'd lose three to four bucks on an oil premium so we were shipping our sunflowers so far it got to be a logistics issue uh but on plant health on sunflowers is fertility management PGRs, they responded great to fungicide. And then once we brought into the program desiccation and then planting winter wheat, that made sunflowers not only better, but the wheat crop that followed it. Now, you mentioned the fungicides, and I, I often tell people that are just really getting going on fungicides and corn and soybeans, you're so far behind some of these wheat guys that have been doing it for a long time, and specialty crops, like I'd consider sunflowers a specialty crop, especially the way you were raising it, and, and like you say, just crushing it on oil content. How, how do you use these fungicides? Are you trying to be out way in front of things on the early part of the season? Are you more looking at the reproductive stages, or, or are you looking at multiple passes in just about any crop? Uh, usually on wheat and on sunflowers, uh, two pass program, uh, early and then at reproductive, that's where we got the most bang for the buck on corn. Uh, even in our environment with some of the newer fungicides, we're seeing these huge gains in plant health and, and water utilization that's even helping us not just on disease pressure. And we're making one application starting to work really good on corn. Some of our most impressive trials on extreme ag was actually fungicide on corn this year. And we were in a drought. 
that was really caught our interest. You mentioned the work that that your farm is doing with extreme ag, and I think about this a lot for our farm too. We just are so fortunate to be able to collaborate with other folks, and you've got some just tremendous farmers that are in that group that you're collaborating with. What kind of advantage does that bring for you? It's a real catalyst because at any time I can pick up the phone and have a conversation or text about ideas, and we can throw things back and forth. So we're always trying new things. And it's amazing something that can work in Arkansas can also work in South Dakota and vice versa. And those are things we never thought about even five years ago. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned what's going on in Arkansas. And I think the other thing, too, when when those guys have been saying, hey, watch out for Palmer, it's coming your way. And to get a heads up a, a few years in advance on a problem that's coming this way or, or a tar spot when you talk to the guys further east and they say, hey, this is heading your way, get ready. And uh, being able to learn from each other and learn from these challenging situations that are going to pop up in farming all the time is is a pretty cool thing. Okay, you mentioned the, the gains in water utilization from using a fungicide in your corn, but I mean, there's certainly some other benefits when you think about the reduced ethylene production and increased antioxidant production and even the cooler crop canopy we often see after fungicide applications. Almost every one of those benefits sounds like, wow, we need this in South Dakota. And I'm sure uh, that's been an attractive thing for you as well. Yeah, we view fungicides on row crops differently than we used to, but there's just been huge gains in chemistry and multiple modes and how they're affecting the plants. Uh, 20 years ago, we had an issue with uh, powdery mildew in wheat. And with advancements in fungicides, it hasn't been an issue in well over a decade for us. Yeah, there's some of these problems that seem to come and go. And I I know we used to fight a lot of kosher when I was a kid. And then all of a sudden, we didn't see kosher again for quite a while on our farm. And now it's it's a massive problem across this region once again. So some sometimes I'm not ready to put powdery mildew away, Lee. I, I'm, I'm going to guess it's going to flare up again when we have some new genetic that really hits and has all kinds of yield. And then we realize, oh, no, uh, that was the weakness in that one. The, the genetics are always changing. How, how do you stay on top of that when you, you think about, like you mentioned, corn hybrids and wheat varieties that you're using? Are you always doing some trial work, or, or how do you watch for new ones? Yeah, we're do, uh, we have test plots uh, placed on our farm, so we're learning from those and then look at all the local data, and then just with networking, talk to other farmers. Hey, what are you seeing uh, on yield, standability, uh, disease? I mean, just build a network of good producers that you can talk to. You'll learn a lot doing that. When, when you're looking at soil, are there some things that you're looking, I mean, you, you farm variable soils in, in your part of the world and, and there's some that are better, better than others. I'm sure. What are you trying to build there? I, I know you mentioned balanced fertility. Are you shooting for a certain amount of organic matter? Are you shooting for a color or a smell or anything unique that, that would be interesting on your soils? It's funny that you mentioned smell because dirt has a smell and it's more of a sterile smell. But when you make soil, it is a robust smell. It's a total different odor in the soil. And that's what we are striving for, working with no-till and biology and fertility so that we can get that distinct smell when we dig into the ground. And along with that, we see huge increases in earthworm counts. 
Yeah, I, I noticed that too on ground that we farmed for a while and we've been working on it for a while. You always wonder, man, am I really making the difference until you finally start seeing it show up on the yield monitor? But you're right. When we start seeing a lot higher earthworm counts out there and you can just, I, I think the same way, you can just smell a difference in, in really good soil. That's that's a great sign for me. Well, well, Lee, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you out again. And, and I was just kind of ribbing you a little bit about the other extreme ag guys. We really do appreciate to have any guys on here and sharing a lot about what you've learned hey anytime we're talking about plant health on our show today and we would love to hear from you our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD you can also email us radio at agphd.com we'll be right back Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPVD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, 
Simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are taking on the topic of plant health, and it's been fun so far on the show just talking to folks about, man, when you have tough conditions, when it's hot, when it's dry, when things aren't perfect, it makes a big difference out there for this crop. And anything we can do to keep it healthy and happy is going to be a good thing. I got Bruce Strip Stripling out with us right now with FMC down in the state of Georgia. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks, Darren. How are you this afternoon? Pretty good. So I mentioned heat, and of course, now we head down to Georgia to talk about a little heat stress on the crop. Certainly, you got irrigated crop, but there's dry land crop as well, and the stress stress can be tough even on that irrigated crop when you get that kind of heat. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of two the things we fight the most is. You know, we're throwing that moisture to it in a lot of our, you know, in my geography. Well, you get the heat plus that moisture, you're going to get a lot of humidity. That that makes it even harder. We're trying to get that corn to pollinate late season. Man, that heat can do a lot of things detrimentally to that pollination on that corn. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Uh, all right, so... I, I don't even know where to start with you because my, where I want to go is planting time, and, and you're talking about pollination already, Bruce. Can we can we start with something like Zyway? I'm just curious. We hear a lot of plant health claims with strobiliarin products. Zyway is not a strobe, yet I know from our farm for the last two years, boy, that corn has looked pretty healthy where we put the Zyway on. Are you seeing the same thing? And we're seeing the same thing all across the U.S. Uh, you know, and, and you're spot on. We know those strobes do a lot with photosynthates, a lot with carbohydrates, and they and they notoriously have been categorized as plant health. Well, there's other aspects of plant health, right? So when we look at Zyway putting that product down at plant, you, you notice a, a larger root system where we're actually able to mine for nutrients better. We're also able to mine for water better when we had that larger root system. Keeping that vascular bundle, a lot cleaner throughout the year, allow us to move that water, move those nutrients, especially in the green field time of the year. So from all those perspectives, what is plant health? I think we all can agree that when you walk out there and you see this crop and it's not wilting, maybe it's managing nitrogen a lot better. You're not seeing it fire up at the bottom of the canopy. Man, that speaks to plant health. That that plant is it's hanging in there. It's weathering the elements. So when we do get that change in the weather, we get that uh, that rainfall, it's timely that we've been waiting on to feel that grain, that plant sitting there ready. We held everything as, as best we could to get us an, an opportunity where we can finish out that season, finish out that grain field. All right. We do get a lot of questions about Zyway. That's one of the reasons that I bring it up, not just that we're using it on our farm. When when we look at Zyway, I know we used it through the Thrive 3D system. We really, really like mm -hmm. that system. Uh, but there are a number of guys using the LFR version. And I know the, the recommendations have maybe changed just a little bit or been tweaked just a little bit going into 2022 now that you had over a million acres of experience to draw from there. What are, you, what are your best recommendations, Bruce? You got some really light, sandy kind of soils where you're at. And, and you got some heavier ground too, but uh, does it change depending on the type of ground you're in and if you're irrigated or dry land, or do you have kind of a standard recommendation across the board? Yeah, great question. You know, soil types can, can vary a lot. And, you know, obviously we see herbicides. You look on a herbicide and, you know, the lighter soils, you don't use as much. Heavier soils use a lot more of a product. Well, 
not necessarily that case with, with a fungicide. What what we have seen is in the marketplace, gosh, 90, 95% of the people, man, they, they love Zyway, saw the benefits of it, and, and want to see it again next year. But we had a small section of the market that we had, you know, may, maybe had some, some, you know, irregular stand, maybe some even stand claims. But when we look at this, one thing we could notice was there's always something that happened in a stressed environment, whether it was planting early, planting when it got cold. We had a cold front moving. You know, the day we planted soil temps looked great, but gosh, mighty three days later, here comes a cold front. And those things we can't, can't stop. But what we learned from the standpoint of when we took a step back and went through all the data we have, man, if you move it off that seed a half inch, just a half inch off that seed, you could reduce that risk substantially. So our recommendation this year going in, and that's, that's, that's part of learning when you launch a product, right? You know, you think you have everything buttoned up, but what you learn is the marketplace will tell you a lot. When you start going on a bunch of acres, and, and we went on several million acres, well, you, you take those learnings and say, how can I better get, move forward in, in the future? How can I reduce this risk for those small percentage of growers that had a problem? Well, what we learn is you move it off a half inch, get away from that seed, and, and that's anywhere from a half inch to four inches. Most of our, a lot of our recommendations now, if, if you're set up for two by two, let's slide it in that two by two. Let that corn emerge, let it, let it germinate, then emerge, and we get out of that, that, that little time period where it's very critical to get that corn up. So, you know, we do have a half inch, uh, something like a furrow jets where you stop up that center tube and go through the wings and you slice into the furrow. But the big thing is when after the closing wheel closes, what we want to see is you move that AI a half inch over, away from that seed in the furrow. And that's what we've seen. We can re greatly reduce that, that any kind of potential for having any kind of stand, any kind of emergency issues. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's, we talked to farmers so many times about you're going to put fertilizer on, you're going to go with higher rates of fertilizer at the plant. That's fine. Just make sure you've got a buffer there with soil between things. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Then you just don't take the risk yeah, of, really of having any kind of issue. And, and a lot of it too, from what I saw and from what I've heard has been application error where you're trying to dribble out a small amount of stuff. It's really hard to make that even everywhere. That's kind of why we like that Thrive 3D system. We feel like we're getting a much more even spread, but you take away a lot of that unevenness by adding some soil in between the seed and wherever the product that you're using is at. All right. So we talked about Zyway a little bit. You've got a completely different offering than a lot of folks in the market with Lucento post-emerge. And I know the guys in soybeans say, well, I love your plant health talk, except in soybeans, I've seen some green stems and I'm not a big fan of that. Well, Lucento would be one of those opportunities to try and get away from the green stems yet still improve plant health and yield. Talk to us about that product and what you've seen. Darren, that's 100% right. You know, we, we like those strobularians in corn, right? We like that green tissue. Well, man, we go to put that combine in, in soybeans, those strobularians, depending on the season, depending on how early a guy gets in the harvest, man, they can cause a lot of green stems. And those green stems start, start to wrap up in that combine. Then we're having to slow down. Then we're just not being efficient, right? Well, We've got a product called Lucento. It's a combination of SDHI and Flutriopol. But that, that's, a, that's a group seven and a group three, so we don't have distribute learning in there. But what we've seen is like with Flutriopol, moving into that plant, keeping those leaves on there, sticking. When I say stick leaves, I mean hold those leaves until they're really naturally ready to senesce so that we can capture that sunlight, capture that energy, because it's all about if we're capturing the sunlight, 
we're capturing energy, then we can really start filling out those pods. If we lose those leaves to disease or insects or what matter. So from that vantage point, we've got Lucento where we get we get all the benefits in the world, right? We're, we're holding those leaves on, reducing that, that disease potential in there, being really good on frog eye leaf spots, septoria. And then at that same time, we're not creating that green stem that's been notorious for causing some harvest issues that we generally see with something like our strobulurins. Yeah, there are a lot of choices out there on the market, and there's a lot of differentiation when we talk about fungicides and, and some of the, the different types of plant health benefits that you can go after. Real happy to have Bruce Stripling on with us right now with FMC down in the state of Georgia. All right, Bruce, anything we're missing on our discussion here? Man, I, I think we nailed it pretty good again. That, that plant and corn, you know, looking at that Zyway where you're a 3D guy, where you're an LFR, 3D, we don't have any problems sitting right there in a furrow because of that when you look at the foam, the way the closing wheel, and actually what's the carrier in 3D? It's actually air. So we're getting that displacement away from the seed. With the LFR, again, we want to maintain that half inch away from the seed. If you've got questions, call up your equipment manufacturer and say, hey, um, I've got a question, you know, this, whatever system I do have, is it going to displace it a half inch away from the seed once the closing wheel? Because, you know, some people get confused with wide splitters. We, we don't want to talk wide splitters. You're still sitting in the furrow. All it did was run it down the side of the walls of the furrow. That's not displacing the AI. So make sure you give your equipment manufacturer a call. And again, if you've got any questions, reach out to your retailers. Reach out to your, your local RMM, your sales rep. Be glad to answer any questions you might have. Bruce, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I know uh, planting season is getting awful close to you for uh or for the state of Georgia. So good luck as, as you get into the season. Thank you. God bless. We'll, we'll have another good year with, with prices. I just wish to maybe the input cost me to come down. A bit. <laughs> oh, man. Great I, I agree. Well, thank you, Bruce. Really appreciate it. We're talking plant health on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, 
a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio talking about plant health. And this is one of those topics that is really not crop specific. I know uh, we've used some different crops here as examples, but when you think about keeping plants healthy, there are a few basic tenets here that are going to apply to pretty much anything I can imagine you raising. Uh, speaking about fertility and balancing fertility in the soil and giving that plant all the food and water that it needs whenever it needs it, that's just a real critical component here. And we've got our friend Dan Peterson with AgroLiquid on to talk about just that. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm great, Darren. Good to talk to you. All right. Well, it sounds easy, right? We just need ample fertility and balanced fertility in the soil, and everything should be great. But the soil varies so much. I know we take one-acre grids, and I'm amazed sometimes at the variance just a, a grid point or two apart. And variable rate for our farm seems to make a lot of sense. Do you see more growers doing things like that and testing on a little more um, intensive basis, trying to figure out exactly what they do need for food? Well, I do, but I also see a really troubling long-term trend. That despite the the gathering of data, you know, good soil sampling and stuff and such, that points out, you know, fertility imbalances or low fertility. Um, I just so many farmers are not paying attention to maintaining the importance of maintaining that fertility. You know, go back years ago in my career, uh, there was a lot of attention paid to potash to potassium levels. And farmers had to because we didn't have the stock quality that we have in modern hybrids. And if you didn't maintain your potash levels, you were going to have down corn in the fall. And so that attention potash levels, which, you know, it's still very important for plant health. And it's just on a long-term decline, uh, both P and K, but especially K. 
Yeah, we've seen the same thing. And I know sometimes uh, Brian sounds like the potassium ambassador or something because he's like, man, I'm looking at these soil tests. And I just don't see enough K. And we need to have a certain amount to start on. We, we had this question the other day, Dan, about do you like the buildup on years where K is cheap and then mine it out on years it's expensive? Or do you feel like there's kind of a baseline that you just can never get below, uh, even though it may go up and down a little, you, you just can't cross this threshold what's your what's your take on k uh yes i i agree with that um i'm seeing more and more and more uh late season uh, potassium deficiencies and so i think a lot of growers have allowed themselves to get below you know that threshold and it, you know it varies on you know with soil types and so on and so forth we talk in terms of base saturation um kind of a rule of thumb that if your base saturation of potassium is less than two, you're probably going to be starving your plants to some degree, you know, with, with potassium. And so sometimes it doesn't matter as much as what the actual level in the soil is. Uh, if it's a high CE soil, CE so, CEC soil, you might still see a fairly good potassium test, but you might only have a base saturation of one or even less in some cases. And, what, and, and that's a situation where the plant's going to be hungry for potassium. So, yeah, I I don't like to see any soil potassium test below 150 parts per million in that top six inches. For me, that's kind of the baseline. Yeah, I think we have to be cognizant that there's a couple different units of measure here that we need to look at. If we've got heavier soils, we're going to need a lot more parts per million to, to be at a certain base saturation level. But when you think about what can right. the roots actually extract from the soil, that's important. Now, when we talk about yeah. some of the agroliquid products and, and strategies, I know for me, I picked up a farm a few years back that I was calling the blank slate, which had less than 100 parts per million of K and had phosphorus numbers that were starting at one part per million, which the lab told me, uh, we never put a zero on the test. Yours probably was zero, but, but we gave you a one. Wow. And so I didn't have much. And so for me, I thought, oh my goodness, I can't afford to put as much P and K on that heavy ground to build things up all in one shot. So I'm going right. to do a little bit of both and I'm going to go with some agro liquid and put it relatively close to the seed to try to make sure I have some availability. When, when you think about that, how far can you push that? I know I tried different rates on my farm, but uh, that's just my farm. What do you see when you deal with lots of farmers and you start looking at things like SureK and ProGerminator? We, we see so many guys that are putting a mixture of those two products in furrow or in a two-by-two. Two. Can you feed the crop for the whole year? Do you need the, the dry fertilizer to, to help out a little bit? Or what you're saying with these uh, 150 parts per million and 2% base saturation, kind of a, a bare minimum numbers, you need them in addition to using the liquid as well? Yeah, I I cover a fairly large territory, so I'm on a lot of different fields. And uh, what I see is that uh, if you're going to use agro-liquid products and take advantage of their efficiency, and of course our, our philosophy is, you know, feed your crop what it needs this year. But that only goes so far. And if you're starting at a very, very low baseline level, yes, you can place our products in a way that maybe minimizes um, your, your yield loss. Um, but we really function best when we start with a relatively good baseline of P and K. So for example, SureK and Calibrate, wonderful products because they're very safe to the plant. Uh, Calibrate, for example, works terrifically as a uh, part of your um, 
you know, a wide drop blend, for example. Shirke, you know, can be in furrow on a wide variety of crops, including um, salt-sensitive crops, you know, like soybeans and, and even dry beans. So one of the other things about um, fertility is that's going kind of hand-in-glove with uh, this, this trend towards lower P and K levels is also a trend towards lower pH. And guys think in terms of pH as far as its effect on soybeans, but they forget about low pH and its effects in corn, including when you start, you could say below six, phosphorus availability to the corn drops off the cliff. It really decreases fast. So, you know, maybe we can use progerminator and furrow and minimize that to some degree because progerminator is, is protected from soil tie-up. But I'm, I always get uncomfortable when somebody is saying, well, let's rely on uh, liquids to cover the nut in those really low pH soils. Yep. I still think you need to do some broadcast. Yes, you're not going to build it in one year, obviously, but it always helps. Even if you can only put out, you know, 100, 100 pounds of 11.52O or 100 pounds of potash in that situation, and then supplement that with good placement and timing of agroliquid products, you'll be in much better shape. Well, I, I certainly agree with you. And when we think about those pH challenges, uh, it, it's not uncommon for us to get soil tests in that we've got pHs down into the upper fours or very low fives. Right. And so a lot right. of times our, our first response is, well, did you already put the lime on <laughs> or are you asking us? Cause <laughs> yeah. we get, where do I spend my right. first dollars? And certainly you need to feed the crop, but any other dollars you got, man, you got to get after it and get that pH kind of in the, in the right range, or it makes nutrient availability really tough. I just had a conversation just before the radio show with uh, an agronomist who's working with the farmer. And he said, okay, our pHs are high and here's what we're seeing. We've got iron deficiency, chlorosis in the soybeans, and we've got some other challenges. And, and he said, so which form of iron should I be putting on? I said, okay, that's one part of the discussion, but what are you doing to try to get that pH back in line? Cause we've got something out of balance here we got some big problem that needs to be fixed too right and sometimes in a situation like that uh if get, especially if a guy's set up with say something like conceals on his on his soybean planter he can put some nitrogen in that band to the side of the seed and create a little bit of an acidic zone and so if you've got some some p and k placed with some nitrogen uh, in a band like that on the soybeans um he avoids you know seed risk and he acidifies the soil to some degree, uh, which will help that availability. You know, again, that's um, uh, a little bit of a stopgap measure. Sure, sure. Strategy uh, that you can use like that. Well, and it's more affordable to do it that way. And, and so often we're, we're farming ground that you may not own. It's it's rented ground and you may right. not have a long-term deal because there aren't too many of those out there to be had. And you, you've got right. to just do what you can to try and make money this year. Uh, we're talking with Dan Peterson yeah. here with AgroLiquid. We're talking about some of the fertility solutions to getting better plant health. Dan, we are out of time, but we really appreciate having you on today. Thanks for the, thanks for the tips and good luck here heading towards spring. Yep, thank you. 
I love talking about plant health because it makes such a difference, especially when you get some stressful years. And I know sometimes the stress period is, is only a week or two, but more often it's it's here and there throughout the growing season. So keeping that plant healthy certainly puts you in the best position to get high yields and to make money on the farm. As Brian mentioned, we've got a couple of workshops coming up next week. You can check out all the details and pre-register at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our program, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.